this part out or not. I don't really care. Welcome to another edition of You Know and I Know alongside Bob 2K. My name's Chuck. Bob's located just outside of Baltimore, Maryland, uh, and I'm in Austin, Texas. We're going to jump right in to the first Saturday in May. And uh, Bob, take it away from here. What's going on in, in Louisville with track conditions and what your thoughts are here as you are the resident expert? Thank you, Chuck. Again, 50 hours from go time on, uh, on the run for the roses. It's, it's soupy. It's rainy there today. But from all uh, forecasts that I've been able to read and look forward to, it's going to be a beautiful day on Saturday. It's going to be about 63 degrees and sunny. So I know that's, uh, that's music to the ears of the trainers, to the betters, to the entire industry that's been looking for something like this to gravitate to based on what we've all gone through last year and running the Derby uh, with zero fans. So everybody's looking forward to it. They, they had the uh, pole position uh, drawing this week and the favorite is going to be running out of the 13th hole, 13 races, uh, 19 horses in general are going to be running from Okay, and the favorite is... Um... Good time, Charlie. No, good time, Charlie. He's going to be in there. He's probably the third favorite. You're almost right. It's Hot Rod Charlie. Hot Rod Charlie. Yep. Hot Rod Charlie. All we need to know is it's Charlie. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people are going to be betting on that. No, Essential Quality is going to be the favorite. Um, and again, that's based on you know undefeated past performances. But he's going to be uh, with the weather being like this, and based on his post position and others, uh, you know, some favorable position, he's going to get a lot of action from uh, Known Agenda, which is in the one hole. And as we talked last week about Known Agenda, Known Agenda has run exceptionally well with blinkers on his last two races. He's been undefeated, and you can be damn sure he'll be wearing the blinkers come What does it? What difference does that make for people that don't know, especially me? So who would you say then, uh, you, you've covered the favorites, who would you say is the, uh, if you were going to go and what's your long shot that, that's a reasonable long shot? That's a tough one. There's probably going to be people uh, uh, betting Medina Spirit because that's the Baffert horse and Baffert has been on fire the last, you know, five, six years down at uh, Louisville. But I think, you know, between Known Agenda, which is running out of the one hole, between uh, Hot Rod Charlie, which is, I, I think Hot Rod is running in the five hole. Not sure uh, at this moment. I can get back to you on that. But uh, he's going to go off at probably five, six, seven, eight to one. Known agenda, maybe six, seven to one. Maybe as low as five to one. And then, and then the favorite that we spoke about. Uh, I, I would tie those three together. And if you were looking for a long shot, I mean, you could name it. I kind of like Burbonic. Uh, again, the trainer's Todd Fletcher. Todd's got uh, four horses in this race. Alone, it's, uh, I think he could get into the money. Has he won before? 
has, not recently. And speaking of guys that haven't won before that are a highly esteemed trainer, Chad Brown, who is based out of Belmont. Uh, anybody that watches any of the Belmont race store, and they're open, which they recently opened up the Belmont track. Uh, he's always a favorite. Uh, he has a horse in this race, and uh, he was interviewed during the pole position uh, drawings, and he, he said, I'm going to sit next to Baffert during the pole position and, you know, really pick his brain and find out what I could do to win this race. And he said uh, he came away with the secret. He said the secret is on Friday night he's going to sneak on the track and throw grass seed on the dirt <laughs> track. And I, got, I got a kick by all of his uh, fellow uh, trainers, owners, jobs, and horse people uh, during the event on Tuesday. With this many uh, horses in the field, uh, is there any chance this is one of the fastest races? Does this slow everybody down? Somebody can pull away? Track conditions? What do you expect on Saturday? Great question. I think it's all based on track conditions, and, and it's going to be good. It's, what's amazing about track conditions in general, even with a rainy, sloppy track, when you have a 1,000-pound animal running with another 123, 125 pounds on it with the jockey, maybe another, you know, uh, and you're running that kind of speed in some, in some cases. For example, a quarter horse can run 55 miles an hour. So you're running that kind of speed up and down. By the time that hoof and shoe gets on the dry side of the, uh, the track, it might be wet and muddy on the outside of the track, but where they're landing, they're getting good footing. The problems that happen with weather with a horse is they just don't like uh, the mud in their face, the mud in the jock's face, all that kind of ancillary, you know, funk. So. I do think track records are always uh, able to be broken when you have great weather conditions. And at least, you know, two and a half days out or two days out, it looks like it's going to be one of the better days for the Derby. A nice day temperature-wise and everything. Absolutely. I mean, you can – you know and I know, even Preakness, which is two weeks after that, we've had some Preaknesses in the 90s. We've had some thunderstorms right before Preakness uh, <coughs> here in Baltimore, Pimlico. And the same could be said down in uh, Louisville. Again, it's not unusual for that part of the country to be humid and hot uh, this early in the spring, but it looks like it's going to be a Chamber of Commerce day, Charles. It sure does look like it. I'm just looking here, and there is a 2% chance of precipitation with a high of 76, probably right about the time they they go off, and, uh, and a low of 57. So, yeah. And right now, not much going on tonight. Not much. The 73 and 41 tomorrow. So, does a dry track mean faster or not? It sure does, Chuck. It's going to be firm. Uh, it'll probably be firm as early as uh, tomorrow, despite it being pretty wet there today. And uh, it'll dry up. They'll work that track. Uh, you'd be surprised the kind of attention and manicure type of conditions that they'll be uh, spoiled between now and I guess it's like 6 7. Eastern time. Yes, sir. Right. Well, I tell you what, we'll have a great recap next week. I'm sure looking forward to it. I think I told you that I got my Racing Dudes uh, track guide. It's, it's, it's a very thorough publication. I haven't had a chance to review it yet. I was going to bet on, um, on uh, the, the Charlie horse, but uh, once I saw him draped in a University of South Carolina logoed blanket, I figured he doesn't have a chance. He does have a chance. He does have a chance. His trainer has won before in the Derby, and the jockey Flavian Pratt is a phenomenal uh, young jock. He spends a lot of his time at Santa Anita. Um, uh, hot Rod Charlie's coming off the win at the Louisiana Derby. This is a hot horse. 
And again, uh, what's not to like? Chuck Morrison, Hot Rod Charlie. Hot Rod Charlie. Well, he's just, I mean, the, the Gamecock blanket might have just jinxed it. I was surprised to see that on um, ESPN or the New York Post today, as a matter of fact, had that photo of Hot Rod Charlie with the Gamecock blanket. I'm not real sure what the association is. It has something to do with the scholarship endowment at South Carolina. Maybe one of the owners has something to do with it. No idea. Um, so, bet the farm. <laughs> Double down on that. <laughs> of course he will. Um, so, you know, the other uh, – couple other events that are going on, one that starts here in just a few hours from now, um, the NFL draft we've talked about the last couple of weeks. What's changed since last week that now it seems like there's just a lot more moving and shaking, some trades have been made, some other things have happened, and I believe uh, you had some thoughts on that the first ten could possibly be uh, on one side of the ball. I think at least the first nine could be on the offensive side of the ball. I think Dallas uh, might be the first team that drafts defense, and I think they're looking at a cornerback, providing somebody doesn't want to trade up uh, for their pick. But it's unprecedented, and it's just as we've spoken the previous, you know, two or three, you know, and I know episodes. Uh, there's a penchant for offensive skill position, and people get drunk on quarterback talent. And everybody wants to go from last to first overnight, and they don't want to put in the time. I mean, could you imagine 10, 15 years ago, the Jets drafting three overall with Darnold three years ago, and now they're going to be drafting again and taking a quarterback? Or three or, or four years ago, uh, Rosen's drafted by Arizona. All of a sudden, they ship him to Miami, and they draft Kyler Murray. So the stakes are high. The money is plentiful. The salary cap is going to go up by maybe you know, 10 15%, maybe more next year. And the more they can get these young kids and sign them as a number one draft pick, which gives them the extra year of team control with that fifth-year option, the more teams are going to do that. And make no mistake about it, four of these five kids have been proven at the highest level. The other kid, which everybody's talking about, uh, Lance, out of North Dakota State, Hadn't played in 600 days, and when he did, it was against a lower-level team. But people are marveling over his physicality and what he brings to the table. I don't know, Joe. What do you think? Um, I, you know, I don't know, I don't think. So, you know and I know that I am the least prepared for uh, the draft of, of, of anyone. And what I, I think it's interesting that you brought up that somebody that hasn't played in almost two years, so what would that be? It's 130 days short of two years. They played one game. Um, are they being punished for not playing? I've heard that term thrown around. Or is it just that would you rather take someone that played last year in a power five um, or not? I mean, I, I guess it's unusual circumstances all the way around, which makes it even more dramatic, would you say? I'd say quality teams with quality scouting uh, departments and player development departments uh, will look at this and say the only way they judge them, or not the only way, but the, the high level or the weighted uh, uh, areas of how they prioritize judging talent is competition, one-on-one, -on -one, game film, senior bowl, things like that. When you have, when you have a player that hasn't played in over a year, regardless of the reason why, or you're making decisions based on pro days, which have been plentiful, as you know. I think it, 
I don't think you can judge a player in track shoes and gym shorts. I think you have to judge him in pads with pressure. You know, the old grace under pressure scenario. Well, okay. And in that case, so if you're going to draft all these quarterbacks, and granted, a lot of them aren't that big, right? So, uh, and they haven't been of late. Where do, the, where do, you, where do you, when do you start dra- drafting the offensive linemen to protect them? Um, it seems like that that's uh, they get the quarterback first, and hopefully get the lineman. Or should it be the other way around? Another fantastic question, Chuck. Look at Burrow. Um, you know, with Cincinnati, he was having a great rookie season. Blew out ACL and MCL. His knee is still double the size. He's got a scar that's pretty ugly. And right now they're drafting five overall, and they have options for probably Pitts, the number one TE slash receiver. They have an option for Lamar Chase, which is his teammate from LSU. They're both sexy picks, but you know what you and I would pick? How about an offensive lineman? How about a body protector? How about a left tackle? And uh, ask ask the coaching staff at Cincinnati what's more important, because I think to your point, uh, there's going to be a lot of offensive tackles. I would say five in this first round that could go, and they're going to fall. And again, we've said this. Week after week, quality teams are going to do nothing but wait till these players fall in their lap because of the uh, the run for quarterbacks, the run for receivers. Between quarterbacks and receivers, there could be twelve guys off the board out of the, in the first night. What do you think? Well, uh, the uh, <clears throat> what do you think the Patriots are going to do? Well, I think the Patriots all of a sudden they're very uncomfortable. Chuck, I mean, think about this: for most of Brady's uh, experience with Belichick. Uh, the view never changed, right? Now, all of a sudden, they didn't not only not win the division, they finished third. And the team behind them in fourth has all this draft capital. They're going to be drafting second, which is the Jets. They have a new GM, a new head coach, uh, a new front office, a new focus. They have the offensive coordinator that came over from San Francisco. So it looks like now the Jets, the perennial team that hasn't really won much since the late 60s, now can also... Uh, deliver some formidable competition for Belichick. To your point, they spent more money this offseason than they had the previous 10 years as far as trying to get receiver, tight end, and other linebacker talent, uh, which is very unorthodox for Belichick. I think drafting 15, if one of these players like Fields or Lance falls, uh, does Bill get into the party? You know, Bill kind of reminds me of Coach K. You know, Coach K never believed in the one-and-done recruit. And then all of a sudden, you know, eight, ten years into it, when Calipari kept doing it and going to the finals, all of a sudden Coach K started drafting one-and-dones. And don't believe it or not, it's a copycat league, and I can see Belichick jumping on board and trying to get a multi-purpose uh, quarterback. Not that Cam isn't, but I think Cam's body is broken down. Well, I mean, and to that point, since you just referenced Coach K, since he started uh, really doing that, they haven't been back to the Final Four in about eight years. You would think that they have. They haven't. I did not know that, but I know that you know most of the most of the top teams in the NCAA's in basketball now. They realize that's part of the game. Yeah. One and done, and uh, I I would not be surprised if Belichick uh, does that based on the, the reasons I mentioned. Competition within his own division, uh, and and having a very unstable quarterback position. That, I mean, right now they're looking at uh, Cam. I was surprised that they signed Cam back because I thought Cam limped into the end of the year last year, and it was really sad to see such a prominent uh, 
player that had such an incredible career with Carolina look so bad last year? Well, <clears throat> you know, the games that I saw them play, and I'm a Cam fan. Cam, uh, if you're running Cam, he's, 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 a, he's a big threat. Cam, as a drop-back passer, mediocre. Would you not agree? What's that? Uh, so in 2010, uh, we played them in the SEC championship. Auburn beat us. That's when they won the national championship. So 10 years later, 2032, maybe. Now, so I guess I could look it up, but I'm guessing, okay? But run, running the ball at that age with that many surgeries, with the Liz Frank injury, with the back injury, with the rib injury, I think that's more dangerous than trying to throw some intermediate passes to tight ends, which he signed to. Uh, tight ends. He signed uh, Hunter Harvey from uh, uh, from San Diego, or excuse me, LA Chargers in the offseason. So they're going to go back to those safety balance for the quarterback. And in this day and age, you know, everybody wants a tight end. Run five yards, turn around. Nobody can cover a tight end in the NFL, especially with the rules. He'll be 32 on May 11th. So there you go. I think it's a pretty big deal, too. Uh, I can't remember the term, but it was unusually long, it seemed. Um, and so, so are there any um, any surprises, anything we should know about what your Ravens might do? The surprises are basically how they rate these players that haven't played in a long time and then players that have, you know, medical red, red flags. Uh, we were looking at the kid that was a receiver. He actually played with Burrow. He played with Chase. He played with... Justin Jefferson, who was the rookie of the year last year with Minnesota. Think of that. Those three receivers and all Claire, the running back that's now with the Chiefs, all were in the national championship team. So we were looking at Terrence Mars. He's had a couple knee and ankle issues. I think he could be red flag. Uh, I honestly think that we're, if an edge rusher drops down to 27 to the Ravens, they'll look at that. Uh, there's not a lot of great edge rush speed rush talent. The kid uh, Quiddy Pay from Michigan. Uh, small sample set last year. Four games played, but he's disruptive. The other guy is uh, Jalen Phillips from Miami. And this is a kid that uh, had multiple concussions, transferred from UCLA to Miami. Clearly set every record possible on this pro day. I think he ran a 4.5 and 6.4.5 and, and 2.70. And they think he's the closest thing to a chase young as far as getting out of the blocks and being disruptive. But other than that, um, I don't see a lot of a crazy guys that are going to turn your head in that position. The, the depth in this draft besides quarterback, receiver, is going to be corner, quarterback, safety, and obviously the offensive tackle, offensive guard, and even center are very strong. Any, any uh, you know, out, you know, guys on the defensive line, 
edge pass rushers, as you mentioned, but how about on the interior that uh, you know of that <clears throat> that you know and I know most people aren't talking about because it's not the sexy thing to talk about. Who are some of those guys and where are they from? Are they from uh, the SEC or are they from yeah. – yeah. And at this one uh, today, I, we probably covered this last week. I just forget. Are, are, are fans allowed? And if that's the case, uh, the, what's the percentage of, of Jets fans versus everybody else? Is it half Jets fans no matter where it is? It'll probably be a, a high percentage of Cleveland Brown fans since it's right on Lake Erie, right near the Rock and Roll Hall. Thing. Oh, and so it's in Cleveland. Okay, yeah. Cleveland is a Super Bowl contender. Yes. I mean, they beat Pittsburgh. Goodness. Okay. They were uh, one series from beating Kansas City on the road in Kansas City uh, on the divisional round game. And I think if they tighten up their defense a little bit, I think they'll be, they'll be right there. They signed Clowney. They already have uh, – God, I his name escapes me, the great pass rusher from Texas A&M, uh, who, who threw his helmet at Mason Rudolph couple years ago. Oh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. They have a good pass run. They just need linebacker and secondary play, and I think they'll get that. Well, I mean, you know, as you know and I know, I don't keep up with it as, you know, as much as, as, as most people. And I'm a, you know, my Raiders, I have no idea what they're going to do. Anything you see there that they may do, given uh, what the contracts are there, will they make some sort of moves, or will they maybe do something fundamentally correct for the first time? Yep. Uh, and I think Mayock, it doesn't matter what Mayock thinks. He might be the greatest talent evaluator as a GM on the planet. But, you know, Chucky is the loudest, the strongest, and the decision maker in that uh, draft room. I think they're going to take a, a linebacker or an offensive guard slash tackle. Uh, they'll have a lot of choices. I think they're drafted <coughs> 14 or so. And I think based on what we said earlier, there's not going to be too many defensive players off the board at that time. They'll have their pick, and I think it'll probably be uh, the offensive guard from USC, a, a big tackle, maybe Slater from Northwestern, 
Or if they go linebacker, it'll be Michael Parsons from Penn State, another guy that didn't play much, but he's considered the you know reference standard for middle linebacker. Yeah, I mean clearly, uh, Coach Gruden is the alpha dog there. I hope they just do some fundamentally uh, make some fundamentally good decisions and you know get the uh, get the foundation right. I think skill players uh, probably pretty good to go on on some of the skill players. So. Uh, it'll be interesting tonight, and I'm not sure exactly where I'm going to watch it. Some of my new friends here in Austin have invited me um, to to join them to watch it somewhere, so I may do that. By the way, just so you know, here in the top of the ninth over at Camden, Glaber just hit into a ground rule um, ground rule double to the outfield. The Yankees scored to tie it 3-3 for the battle for last place in the, in the AL East. Well, I mean, if you if you can win this one, we'll be tied for last. <laughs> I, I don't think you have anything to worry about. As the weather gets warmer, the balls are going to carry further. I think I texted you two days ago and I said, it's 77 in Camden and four home runs later, you've won eight to nothing. Yeah. And I can't, can't hit one. It's, they're still looking for the ball. They did hit one pretty far. Uh, that's for sure. Well, we only have a few minutes left, so I thought that maybe we would talk about the um, – the Portugal Formula One race, because everybody's probably on the edge of their seats about it. It's going to be pretty interesting. You had Max Verstappen win two weeks ago uh, in Italy. Uh, the Max versus Lewis Hamilton battle seems to be uh, what they're really hyping. But you can't count out Botas or the McLarens or even maybe the Ferraris here in Portugal. There's significant straightaways in, in two of them in, on this track, on this circuit. This is round three. Um, should be pretty interesting. So, um, and, and then also on the heels of that, um, um, in uh, in the Mercedes camp, there's uh, evidently some some serious uh, dissension between Botas and Hamilton now. So it's like Nico Rosberg and Hamilton. They pretended to be friends for a while, and then when Nico won it finally, and uh, then just got out. Uh, it just it just goes to show how competitive. Lewis Hamilton is. I mean, he hates to finish behind anybody, even his own teammate. And his teammate's one of the best drivers out there. So, Portugal's this Sunday. It's a big weekend. Chuck, is everybody fighting for second place? Because when I see the incredible job that Hamilton does, and most of that knowledge comes from you, you sharing those stories and insight with me. But is that basically it without, you know? It, it's Max Verstappen in the Red Bull and, uh, and it's Lewis in the – in the uh, in the Mercedes, the, the Ferraris still have a ways to go, but they're getting closer. So, uh, be interested to see how practice practice starts tomorrow. Um, be interested to see how they do. They just added a race in uh, Turkey this year, replacing Canada. I guess Canada's still not allowing these events to happen for some reason. Will there be fans in Portugal? Yep, yep. Be fans in Portugal. Be fans in Texas in October. Just got my access code to be able to get some tickets. So taking a look at them and seeing what I might do. Um, might not commit to anything at this time, uh, just given the fact that it's all the way in October and who knows what will be going on by then. Certainly if I want to go out there, I could probably find a ticket. Chuck, for fans listening uh, and like myself that are devoid of uh, F1 knowledge, what is the significance of the podium, and how did they get to that podium, and how come you don't see it in other sports as, as much? I mean, obviously you see it in ice 
in ice skating and Olympic sports? Is it because it's an international sport that they do the podium? That's a great question, and I'm not sure I have the right answer. Uh, I just know that it's always been that way, and to get to the podium, you know, is just a real big deal. So that's your top three. It'd be interesting to see if they did that in other individual sports, and where could you possibly do that other than than swimming, racing, you know, gymnastics, anything that has, bron- you know, gold, silver, bronze. Yeah, an Olympic-type sport. I haven't really ever thought about it. Um, Oh yeah, the ones that they that they spray on each other. Yeah. yeah, I would think that. Yeah, I don't even. I don't know though because I think I've seen different bottles in races in France. I think in France they're actually using champagne, and I, I, if I'm not mistaken, in in Circuit of the Americas they use um, you know sparkling. They can't call it champagne. It comes from California or somewhere nearby. Hundred percent Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, that's the one. Well, you'll be you'll be there one day. One day. I've been saying that though for thirty years. So um, there you go. I haven't been yet, but it'll be fun. Well, we're at the twenty-nine minute thirty-three second mark. Um, your Orioles are up here in the bottom of the ninth. This three to three. So maybe this will just go on into the draft, and you can just tune in and watch extra innings. Free baseball now, Bob. Now you know what we know. I'll see you next week, buddy. Take care, pal. Yep.